It's still an uptown thing, nigga. BG representing to the fullest. It's still an uptown thing, nigga. Check it out. I reside in the same place, nigga. UPT represent the same wall. VL13. Still carry my title, nigga. Trill BG. Still took my chopper in my 223. Not cash money is my home. Till I'm dead and gone. Disrespect it gets split, cause you know right from wrong. I'ma stand my ground. Be all I could be and shoot down. Everybody playing hating me. I didn't been a lot of places. I traveled around, but I never found a town like uptown. I'll lounge all day, smoke weed by the pound. I'll cruise all day, do the project bumping my sound. All these thunders hit six under the ground. You more on the front row, wearing that black gown. These rookies rapping out in some more, what y'all done seen? Don't let me catch it down back from the three to the thirteen. Uptown's my home, that's where I do my dirt. I eat the dirty, get hurt. It's me or you on that shirt. Washington and Fred on Sunday, it's going down. Look, I never found a town like Uptown. Uptown's my home, that's where I do my dirt. I eat the hurt, get hurt. It's me or you on that shirt. Look at Washington and Fred on. Welcome again to another episode of the Ryan Hancock Podcast. I am, of course, Ryan Hancock. And joining me today is my friend, even though he's an Alabama fan, he's still a good friend of mine. His name is Hot Boy Rod. He's also the um, the uh, owner of Velvet Noir Beard Care. And he is my guest on today's episode of the Ryan Hancock Podcast. So that being said, here's Hot Boy Rod. Hot Boy Rod, welcome to... The Ryan Hancock Podcast. How you doing this evening? Oh uh, man, first and foremost, I appreciate you for uh, for allowing me to come on your platform and, and just hang out with you uh, to answer your questions. I'm doing pretty well. I can't complain, man. Yeah, I think everybody, you know, everybody is doing well. I mean, we went from 80 degrees. I'm out here in shorts. You know, I'm out here in shorts and stuff myself. Yeah. I got to go and p- pick up some laundry uh, tomorrow. Uh, and this is a, p- a promotional plug, people. The only people I trust with my clothes is black and gold wash and fold on 3rd and Carondelet, which is down the street from where I stay at. They the only people I trust with my laundry. I, I mean, I'm hardly at home, so that's why I go to black and gold wash and fold. So, Rod, you started, you done everything. You played football, you played college football. And now you're doing this, which is uh, being an owner of Velvet Nord Beer Care. How did that idea come about? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, it, it all started, well, not the beer care, but yeah, I was fortunate enough to play a uh, little college football, graduate from, from a four-year university and all those types of things. But yeah, like you said, now I, I own uh, Velvet Noir Beer Care, Beard and Skin Care, and that came about Really in 2014, 2015, um, I had a beard. I had grown a beard. I was fortunate enough to have facial hair. However, I had never even heard of the idea that you should probably take care of it, um, mm-hmm. keep it moisturized and things of that nature. Like I had never heard that. It wasn't until I had met uh, a young lady who knew someone who had a beard company and she was actually supposed to get me some of those products. Um, and it never happened uh, for whatever reasoning behind it. But uh, one thing led to another. I began to do my own research and came up with something that worked for me uh, that made my beard more manageable, uh, softer, not looking as rough. You know, it kind of <laughs> tamed the flyaway hairs. Um, so I began using that and creating that for myself. And then I started letting friends use it. 
uh, and and they were kind of like, yeah, you should definitely, you know, sell this. So uh, one thing led to another, and we've been in business for roughly three years now. Yeah, because I remember when I was doing when when I was doing the radio show at Loyola University, you had just started doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was like around 2017. Yeah. And I was like, you know, because I had never heard of, you know, a beard care. You know, I had never heard of, you know, beard care. I'm like you. I never heard of it. And I remember every year I covered the New Orleans Bowl. Right. So I saw uh, middle, I talked to Middle Tennessee's coach, Rick Stockstill. Yeah. I remember talking to him and I say, you know, coach, one of my friends here in the city has a beer care <laughs> a beer care thing so i gave him i think i gave him i just wrote it on a sheet of paper here's the here's the website you know you can go from ashy to classy <laughs> with, with, the beer, with the beer care i didn't tell him those words but i told him that um so going into this whole thing like uh, i know you saw recently uh the stuff with the University of Texas and the Eyes of Texas controversy. And you, of course, you played college football. You played at Tulsa, and I think you played at Troy, right? Or how yeah. was – yeah, so so you played at Tulsa. So you dealt – you know how donors can be. You know – you kind of know the ins and outs of donors. Are you surprised by what you um, – are you surprised by the attitudes of donors, especially during – these times, especially what we had last summer with the social unrest, with the protests about social injustice, are you surprised that these donors are reacting the way they, they are reacting uh, at schools like Texas and Alabama and LSU and all these other schools? Are you surprised by it? No, I'm not. Because uh, being inside of those those lines, I mean, you kind of understand that a lot of these big programs, if you take away their donors, they don't really have much. Mm -hmm. And their way of thinking is, well, we can go find another quarterback or there'll be a, a running back that I always want to come to the University of Texas. Or, or, there's always going to be a five-star wide receiver that's going to come, come to UT Austin regardless of what we stand for. And they might be right. However, it's, it's, it's insane to think that the players that are currently on your roster that you could have you know, these, these outlandish thoughts, but still expect these players to, to suit up and, you know, want to play for you when you don't want to even hear what they have to say about these types of issues. And I mean, it's basically just America. It is what America is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the one of the things that I said this afternoon, the, the one thing I said this afternoon, and I talked about like the university of Texas, I always believe that their history has always been very overrated because you look at Alabama and you look at LSU, like Alabama's been good in both before integration and after integration, same way with LSU, not to the level of Alabama, but what not to the level of Alabama. What, I, what I'm saying is schools like Texas and Ole Miss were never going to really enter, um, excel in a, integrated world like i'm from memphis and i can tell you i've had conversations with numerous people like numerous people like as a kid you didn't see too many black kids going to old miss yeah. you didn't see too many black players going to old miss because yeah. everyone knew what old miss stood for if you were from memphis you knew what old miss stood for it was antebellum rich racist ass white folks and i think to me and i had a conversation with michael felder about this he uh, he's a great follow 
uh, he played at the University of North Carolina. Um, he said, I said to him, I said, there's a reason why you don't have so many African-American coaches because these big money donors don't want, they feel like we have to hire a white coach because we don't want the inmates running the asylum. That's how they view black people, they view these black players as hired hands. That's what they have, they view them as. And it's a very sad and sobering thought because all they see is the uniform. They don't see a person, they see a uniform. And I think in the end, you see that, and you even, we see this at the pro level. It's like people don't see athletes as human beings. They see just the uniform. They supposed to not be sad or, or mad about anything. Would you agree with that? Oh, I definitely agree with it. You see it on a daily basis. I mean, you've, you've had NBA players come out, or I'm not even going to limit it to just NBA. You've had professional players come out and say that, hey, they're dealing with anxiety and depression, all things that us normal people deal with. Um, however, when the athletes say it, you know, they're, there's, they're ridiculed or they're soft or whatever it may be. So I definitely <laughs> A, a double standard when it comes to the professional athlete and quite frankly I think people need to get a grip and realize that they're no they're no different than you and I they're just really good at something else just like you and I are good at something you know unique to us so I mean, mm -hmm. they still have feelings they still have to live in the same world that we live in they just may live in it with you know different circumstances you know and I think that and this also goes into the segue about um this, today they were talking about like men not having safe uh, black men not having safe places and safe spaces to emote their feelings and and so forth and i was like you know there are people in my life black men and you know regardless that i've had conversations with about life you and i we've had numerous conversations on my show about life and why do you do you feel that we as black men do you feel we have safe spaces because i like to say we do and how can we get out this stigma of not being able to express our feelings and not being able to emote our feelings well, i think it, it's it's on a, a person to person basis but i also think that the way that we have to live in society dictates a lot of what we allow others to see mm -hmm. I, I think we have it the question was is there a safe, safe space for black men um and i don't we're talking about mental mentally yeah, mental, for mental health, for mental health. Um, i think we're on guard as black men majority of the time because society has made us that way mm -hmm. uh, even if we do have those outlets that we may be able to go to we may not feel comfortable because we don't know you know what's gonna come of it and we have to come across as strong at, at all times and we don't necessarily feel that letting someone know that you're feeling depressed or you're feeling x y and z that may make you come across as weak and you know that that's one of the, the traits that we don't want to come across as so i do think there are safe spaces for it i think that we just have to do better at seeking them out and and realizing that you know sometimes it's okay to get whatever off your chest, you know, don't just let it pin up and turn into something bigger. So I agree with that because I think the one thing I talk about, you know, I talk about this with a lot, like when I was a kid, 
they always just say man up. Like I used to always be like, okay, I, you know, you always would hear man up and you will always hear, you don't have nothing to cry about. And I'm like, well, here's the thing. You don't know what a person is going through. Like, if you, you know, I remember, uh, and you remember this, when Ricky Williams first played and started playing for the Saints, he, he had uh, the helmet on his, um, he used to always wear helmets in, 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 in interviews and stuff. And people used to always wonder what was wrong with him. And he came out and started saying he had social anxiety. And people are like, well, how, how, do you, how do you have all these millions of dollars and you have social anxiety? I'm like, and, and, I, and I give you this analogy. Um, in my, when I was a kid, I used to go down to, to Holly Springs, Mississippi. There, there was a, uh, my house, not my house, but my aunt had a house off Highway 6 in Holly Springs, Mississippi. So across, across the road was a field. It was a soybean field. And I'm talking about, Rod, that motherfucker was about the size of this block where I stay on here on Carondelet. And on top of that, there was no kind of like gateway to get back. There was no like gateway. It was just an endless field. And I was like, picture being on a, in an endless field and not having a gateway to get out. That's what dealing with social anxiety is. And that's really because I struggle with it. Because, like, I struggle with it. Like, I had a panic attack uh, a few weeks ago. And this was during Crew de Vue. And I remember I was at Royal and Esplanade. And, you know, you know, like, at Roy at Esplanade, you like, you got that traffic light. So I'm going to see all the installments, right? Mm-hmm. As soon as I get to Royal and Esplanade, there's a bunch of these bikes riding the, against traffic. And I never get mad at anything. It takes a lot for me to get mad about anything. I get off the bike. I cussed every last one of them folks out. And I'm like, please get I'm, I'm looking at that light. I'm like, this light better change. I remember speeding down Royal, speeding down Royal, crossing Canal. And I didn't stop until I got to Felicity. With, uh, Felicity in St. Charles and I went to a Walgreens. I went and saw some other installments, like some other house floats around my neighborhood. And then I went home. But it took me a while to realize that I had a panic attack. Like I had like a, a massive meltdown. So it's like I express it. And you've seen this on, on Twitter a lot because I'm like, look, I'm not saying this because I want you guys to feel sorry for me. I say I'm saying this because it's okay to say that you're not okay. And it's okay to say that you need help. Like, that's the thing that we have to do in our generation. We have to be the people to break the cycle of the, the mental health stigma. You know, everybody always say, have you prayed on it? Like, I talk to my aunts all the time. My aunt in Memphis, like, as soon as I start talking about, like, I start, as soon as I start going, like, when, before I get off the phone with her, she's always talking about, have you prayed on it? Have you? She has like this really weird voice, and like, have you prayed on it? I'm like, uh, ma'am, uh, look, ain't Betty. I, I, I love you. I will talk to you soon. Uh, I have prayed on it. I've also prayed on a stack of TV gods. Trust me. And you remember, like, they had all them TV gods. I prayed on a stack of TV gods. But uh, moving right along, the one thing I want to ask you is being black owned, a black owned business. And me personally, Rod, I hold black owned business to a very realistic 
high level, high standard, which is customer service, being serious about your shit, and more importantly, just being putting your words into action and making and making your action uh, line up with your mission. And we always talk about buy back the block. We always talk about all these things, you know. Uh, I, I know I talk about your products a lot. I talk about my friend, our, our friend Maya. Uh, she did. Uh, I got some uh, face wash from her uh, back in I think December, and I had told my friends about. I was going to. I told everybody I knew about it. Um, what does it mean to ha- be black owned? And what does it? Why? What does it mean to be black owned? Right, in your I, opinion, before I get into that, I'm going to ask you a question about something you just said. Um, said you hold black businesses to a higher standard why a realistic standard realistic what i mean that is like up until i knew about your 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 uh product i didn't know that i didn't know too many black owned beard care places like beard care um companies or and i didn't know like for example um they got a friend mary states you know you know i you know i didn't know too many African Americans that owned Tumblr creation, you know, created tumblers and stuff, you know. So, so it's like there's not that many things like that. And I'm like, you know, this here can be an incubator for the next generation of black entrepreneurs. So it's like that's like it's a realistic standard. Like, like, and realistically, I'm talking about like customer service and stuff, because I know some people who are white and black who own businesses that have horrible customer service skills definitely i just, I just wanted to get that that white and black in there yeah because like, i you know it's not just there should be one standard for a business yes. yeah if it's a white business or a black business and yeah that's, that's my opinion on it um customer service starts first like you just be nice to people treat people the way that you would want to be treated and it doesn't matter what color you are so um, that's all that, that was that was that was just my yeah that, like like i said that was like that was where i was going with it. it's like the whole holistic standards of stuff because i feel like to me rod it's like everyone can run not everyone can run a business you know i feel like everyone can but some people they don't some people don't have the skills to run a business because they don't put they either they put in the time to do it to like re, uh, flesh out their mission or they just, you know, they just run into bad luck or whatever. Um, however, there are people like yourself that do a good job with their businesses and 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 prospering very well. You know, I think I think you had some. Um, what was it? I think you had a. You got a store. You got your products in a store in Florida. I think. Not in Houston. Uh, in okay. 2018, Christmas 2018. Okay, this was like, was this after? Was this after you came on my last show at Lowell, or was it before? Yeah, this was after. Okay. Uh, do you plan on doing any, uh, getting any in uh, products in the stores here in New Orleans? You know, that all comes down to the, the store owners. Um, I would love to do business with any black-owned beauty supplier shop or anything of that nature um you know what, what the inventory that they decide to purchase is, is <laughs> that comes down to them you know all mm-hmm. i do is put the products out there for consumption and, and let people know 
uh, that we have them available. And should they choose to do business with us, we, we welcome them with open arms. Uh, maybe we also need to do a better job of, of marketing our product so that, you know, these, these beauty supply stores know that we have these offerings and, and what they're able to do for people. So uh, I think it goes both ways. But, yeah, I, I would love to do more business with, with small, small businesses, uh, especially in the New Orleans area. So now we're going to shift over and talk about your Crimson Tide and why they keep beating my damn LSU Tigers. For sure. Um, I, I would tell you this. I one time tried to hook up with Dre Kirkpatrick's ex-girlfriend at a bar in Memphis. The night when TJ fucking Yeldon broke my dang heart. He's gonna go. He's gonna go. Every time I see that, like, I, I kid you not. So um, I was at Max's Sports Bar, which is in Memphis. It's uh, on South Main. It's in the South Main Historic District. And there's this pretty girl. She was like, I used to date Dre Kirkpatrick. So I was like, okay. I'm like, uh, can I have your? I did. I was just like, can I have your? I was like, all nice and stuff. And she's like, no, no, no. You got LSU colors on. And in that same at that same bar, there was Josh Jasper. Josh Jasper went to Ridgeway High School, and he's like a few years younger than me. And I'm like, damn, this this girl really taking this stuff seriously. I went home. I turned it on. I'm thinking we're gonna find we're gonna beat Alabama in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. Then TJ Yeldon happens. Well, TJ Yeldon TJ Yeldon happens. I fucking like the like I fucking there's like you know like with Red Sox fans, there's Bucky Funky, Bucky fucking Dent. Mm -hmm. There's TJ fucking Yeldon with me in Alabama. No, in the same breath, you gotta be mad at your defense for letting AJ McCarron find my my man kevin three straight completions in a row to he was on he he was on like that night like that was one of the most that was like to be to be honest looking at it in a in a big picture standpoint that was one of the best drives i had ever seen aj mccarron uh man um engineer yeah during, during during any of his time during throughout all his time at, at, at Alabama, that was like the best one I had seen. And um, I remember a few months later, I entered the uh, AJ McCarron's mom came on my radio show, and I told her I actually told her I said I actually did not think that was his mom. I thought it was his sister. Mm. I I told her this. I was like I didn't know because you know I'm focus on watching the Alabama Notre Dame game and thank you thank you Rod for making out for making this country and this world that year a Notre Dame free society that is the, that's a moment so so yeah you know so so I remember she came on my radio show and she actually did a PSA for um for WTUL here in New Orleans uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and you know, you know, I, I, you know, I don't hate Alabama. I'm gonna tell you this: while I don't hate Alabama, I, I love Alabama fans. I just hate when we lose to y'all. It's like the Red Sox and Yankees. It's like the Red Sox and Yankees. Like the Yankees have all these championships, and the Red Sox, we got our champions. You know, the Red Sox got their championships, but God forbid, TJ Yeldon in 2012, then the overtime win in 2014 with Blake Sims. Now that's my dog. Shout out Blake. That's my guy. But Blake, he I've interviewed Blake for my show. Uh 
we talk about Nick Saban as, to me, and I'm pretty sure you're in agreement with this, he is the greatest coach in college football history because he's done this at two different schools. He's won national titles at two different schools. And there are people who don't remember when Alabama football was not what it is today. We're talking about, you you know, people, I'm talking about people in, 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 you know, people in our age group, we remember when it was just Tennessee and Florida and and Tennessee and Florida dominating the SEC. Well, I can't say that because Alabama won the first SEC championship. So, yeah, but I'm talking about after Stalin. We're talking about the Stalin, like from the Bose. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, like what, between, what, we're talking about between 1996 and 1996 and 2006. We're talking yeah. about that tenure, that tenure. And I, you know, where did like? We're actually a how many? School, like, <laughs> like when I think about this, and I and I, I want to ask you this question, Rod. How, what, Wendy, what, if, if you take away, if you had a Mount Rushmore of just Alabama players from the Nick Saban era, who would you put on that? Like, like, who would you put on that, on that, on that Mount Rushmore? I know for me, I would put, I would put Ingram, I would put, I wouldn't put Mark Ingram under, I put Derrick Henry, I would put Tua. Jalen Hurts would like it would be either Tua or Jalen Hurts. I don't know if I would put McCarron on there. I'll I I think like my my four would be Derrick Henry. I would put uh, Smith, the guy that won the Heisman this year, mm-hmm. and then the third guy I think I'm gonna put my boy Trent Richardson. I loved watching Trent Richardson play. I loved how he ran like that stutter step against Ole Miss. Remember that in 2011, the oh, one in Oxford. I remember. That's that's my third guy, and I would say Barrett Jones for his leadership. Like that guy was a stalwart on the O line. That 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 would be my four. That would be my Mount Rushmore of Alabama players from the Saban era. Man, that's a that's a hell of a question because I mean it's like it's so many guys. You know, um, I would need like four Mount Rushmores to really get into it, man. But. Just off the top of my head, Devontae Smith for sure. Um, oh man. Tell the truth, shame the devil, man. Nico <laughs> Fitzpatrick. Because oh, Fitzpatrick was a beast. I he was a beast. He changed the type of DB that came to Alabama. Um what about Marcel Darius? Darius. I was I was I was going on the D line to figure out which one of them guys was was that man, like the one that started everything. Cordy, it, uh, I would say Cordy Upshaw. It might have to be Marcel Darius with with the the interception return he had against UT in the national championship. Um, it might have to be him. So we're up. That's three, and then. She, I, 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 I would say, like, he went, this was what about Upshaw? Upshaw? I'm going with Jalen Waddle Because there's never been a player in the same era that you feared would score every time he touched the ball. I, I, I would agree with that. I, I would tell you, I would tell you, the game, I'll tell you my favorite Alabama LSU moment was 
the champion, the national title year for LSU. And I know you don't like to hear this, but I didn't watch that. I did not watch that game until one of my friends had called me. He had woke me up from a nap. I was taking a nap during that game because I'm like, okay, we're probably going to get blown out by Alabama. And one of my friends had called me. And he was like, yo, right, you watching the game? I'm like, no, what, what's going on? He's like, man, LSU win. And I've seen, I'm like, dude, I've seen this movie before. Alabama's going to win on some fucking flute. It's going to either be, it's going to be a Tua. Either, I think Tua was, Tua wasn't hurt then. He had got, I think. Tua was dead hurt. He had just had surgery. Okay, okay. So it was Jalen, yeah, Jalen Hurts. So I think Jalen Hurts was behind center that, that game. Um, no, no, Tua played the whole game. Oh, okay, okay, okay. The, the game, okay. So I get to St. Charles Tavern, and I watched him. I'm like, oh, my God, we finally beat Bama. And in the parlance, I've been an LSU fan since I was about seven or eight years old. There's three games that stand out. The game in 1993, we beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. The 2000 game where we finally beat them in Tiger Stadium for the first time in over 30 years and that game. And like, I remember crying. Like, I cried. Like, I'd never cried after an LSU win. I didn't cry when we won the national titles in 2003 and 2007, but I cried. And it was just like this, like this release of frustration. And I know for you as an Alabama fan, Rod, I know you've had those moments. I, I know, I don't know if you ever cried after championships because you've seen numerous top, you've seen Alabama win six um, in the last uh, 15 years, but it's like that elation, like that celebration of your team finally doing something. And I know that's that happened with you and, and with Alabama when they got their national, their first title in the Saban era in 2009. Oh, I mean, I, I, I believe that was against UT. I remember that game vividly. I watched it. I was actually in Houston watching the game. Um, that was probably the most elated I had been. And after that, it just became, all right, well, we supposed to win. So, mm -hmm. Um, now going back to the LSU game last year, that no LSU fan thought y'all. We don't discuss. We don't discuss that game. I, I like. I, I, I like. What, what am I? The one that y'all have won. The one y'all won last year. I don't care about. That. All right. The one. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Yeah. That one. That. That one. You guys won in T Town. Um, Tua was injured. Uh, no excuses at all. I'm not sure. If like you said, you didn't really watch the beginning of the game. We got the ball first, and within two plays, we were down to the 10-yard line. Kua then proceeded to fumble the ball, mm -hmm. and we had to play catch-up the rest of the game. So as great as a team as America wants to give you credit for being, um, you know, congratulations to you guys. I'm happy you got that one championship. <laughs> I mean, we've won three. We've won three. You know, we've won three in the in in the last twenty. I just want LSU fans to get to the realization that when people think of big time college football, they don't think of you anymore. <laughs> I think I think that's a fair statement, but I think here's the thing: at least we're not Tennessee. No, like, Tennessee. there's no. I'm talking about LSU. <laughs> at least we're not Tennessee. I mean, I, I can I I get that I don't point. Think you guys are that far ahead of Tennessee. Dude, Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee football is basically North Carolina State basketball at this point. No, I mean, think about it. 
you had a good season last year with a bunch of players that, you know, were incredible, including the quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's super incredible. I think you went number one. Uh, and then once you see those guys depart, where is the rest of your program? And that's how you define teams. So if you look at the rest of your program, you're on par with the Mizzou's and the Tennessee. I, I can't. I don't. I. I. I think. I think it, it. It's really like if there's like a. To me, it's like if there's like a two or three year downtrend. Like the first. Like this year. Like 2020, we went five and five. Now, if we're five and seven in 2021, or in four and eight the next, uh, the following year, then yes, there's a downtrend because. There, then you can say we're down there with the Missouris and the Tennessees and the South Carolinas. You look at Texas. Texas had, I think they went five and seven the year after y'all beat them in the national championship game. And I don't think that program ever recovered from losing that national championship game because they had to play catch up with the Oklahomas and the Oklahoma States. And you start seeing these guys that they could get from that they could get to Austin. You see those guys going to TCU and Baylor and Texas A&M and and Houston started winning. Like, you know, you had guys going to Houston and 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 that's the thing. It's like a downturn, like a downturn for if it's a two or three year downturn. Like you got to look at I look at it in that sense, because you look at, again, Texas. They went on a downhill, a, a down, a downturn. Same thing happened with Florida. Florida, after you guys beat them in 2009, Florida, yes, they got back to uh to the to the SEC championship game, but Florida wasn't. Florida isn't. They weren't the world beaters that they were under Urban Meyer after y'all beat them. In the championship, in the SEC championship game in 2009, that's one thing. That's one thing, and the same thing happened with Tennessee. Like, who knows? Like the the thing that a lot of people don't know. Who knows what happens if Courtney Upshaw doesn't block that field goal against Tennessee? Uh, who knows mean, what? Uh, Cody, the, the, Cody, Cody, Terrence Cody. Terrence. Oh, right, yeah, that's right. Terrence Cody. I forgot. I thought. It, I thought. I always thought it was Upshaw that did it. No. You're. You're right. You're. You're right. Who knows what would who knows what would have happened? I mean, Lane Kiffin might be the greatest coach of all time from Tennessee right now. If that happens, he he. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend of mine that does another show with me. We call it "This Drinks on Us." Rod, she has nieces that are like twelve and thirteen. They've never seen Tennessee lose out. They've never seen Tennessee beat Alabama. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm from Memphis. And you got a generation of kids that's never seen Tennessee win an SEC an SEC championship. Tennessee has won an SEC championship in basketball, I think three of them, since they last won one in football. Yeah. Like our girl, our girl Shay, I think Shay, you know, our friend Shay, I think Shay's like 20, I think 23, 24 years old. The last time Tennessee won an an SEC championship, she was not even two years old. And you know what's crazy about that? Like Tennessee should you would think about Tennessee being up there consistently, right? Like yeah, they should have all that talent. I mean, I guess it's just shit. The SEC is crazy. <laughs> I, I think I, I, it's a it's a myriad of both. It's a myriad of 
what they did. It's it's so many factors and variables. It's like you want to talk about like we I know we talked about Texas, but you talk about Tennessee. Like Tennessee started losing kids to Memphis, and yeah. Memphis has been in more bowl games than Tennessee since two thousand eight. Memphis has won a, a conference championship more recent than the University of Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, Before, I played against Memphis when they had D'Angelo Williams. And, oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That boy was that boy was something else. I went to his cool. last I went to his last game at the Liberty Bowl. They played Marshall and it was the uh, Saturday after Thanksgiving. And Rod, it was like, you know how the Liberty Bowl is like the Liberty Bowl. There's no, you know, you don't, you're, you know, you, you're you're not protected from the elements. It's you know, the winds howling and everything. And it was like 45, 46 degrees that day. And I remember they started shooting fireworks after the game. And there were people in the stands crying because wow. we never had that kind of, like, talent. He was a five-star type talent. Like, that dude was a true He man. He was going to go to – they was like, he was going to go to Ole Miss. And someone said, the story goes, he was going to go to Ole Miss. And I think Arkansas offered him, and they was like, you know, the best thing about Oxford was Highway Six because Highway Six takes you out of out of Oxford, and you get on Six to Seventy Eight, and you're in Memphis. Yeah. And he was one of the most he was like one of the most versatile running backs I had ever seen, and it's so amazing like to think how far that program had had came like how far they came from they had went. 32 years without a bowl. The year that they went to, the, they they had like up to that point. I was at the game when Tennessee, I mean, not Tennessee, when Memphis beat Ole Miss, I rushed the field with the fans when that was uh, Eli Manning's senior year. That same season, I was at the game when they beat East Carolina to get to, to, get to six wins. And we thought, everybody thought they were going to storm the field. Everybody thought they were going to storm the field. They told they didn't storm the field because the last time when Ole Miss when when Memphis beat Ole Miss, the sheriffs they drew guns on the fans. I bullshit you not, they drew guns on the fans um, at that game uh, when they stormed the field because the other time they stormed the field was when they beat Tennessee in 1996, and I was I was on the field with them and they took this uh, goalpost down to uh, Garibaldi's Pizza on Highland, not on Highland, but on Walker Avenue. And there's still a piece of that, um, that, um, that, what was I going to say? There's still a piece of that goalpost on the, um, at, at Garibaldi's Pizza. And, and they got the best pizza in the, best pizza in the city in Memphis. That's the best place to get pizza, Garibaldi's. But I lived in Memphis for three years. I, I, I don't recall if I had much pizza when I was there. Yeah, what, what part of town? What part of town did you stay in? I was right on. I was downtown, one hundred eight South Street. Okay, yeah. I know exactly where that is. One hundred eight South. Right next to a bar called Locals Gastro Pub, and down the street. I know exactly where. Local uh, Pub. Bar Dog. Uh, that's where my guy, the Goat, Paul Rodburn, the Goat. Like Paul Rodburn was is like a fucking legend. Like he is like a man who I consider one of my heroes, like the guy. And the reason why is the guys are Scorpio. The guy basically co-signed my blogs when I first started getting into the blog game back in 2004, 2005. So, but anyway, uh, Rod, 
tell everybody, our, our listeners, tell my listeners about where they can get your products at. I can't thank you enough for dropping by the podcast. Man, this this has been it's it's, been, it's, it's good to to converse about things that are going on as well as you know the back and forth LSU Bamble banter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I really appreciate you for allowing me to come on. But as far as the products, uh, you can check us out online at www.velvetnoirbc.com. As www.velvetnoirbc.com. Um, but yeah, we offer four distinct beard oils, one beard balm, one beard co-wash, and one peachwood beard comb, all designed to help you become the best you and bring your beard out to its fullest potential. Uh, so please stop by. Uh, we're 100% black owned. We got some big things coming in the future. Um, and we ship them just as fast as you order them, I promise you. <laughs> so, Ryan, this I really appreciate you. I, I really no, no appreciate you, man. All right, no problem, folks. Thank you so much uh, for listening to the Ryan Hancock podcast. It will be up tomorrow afternoon on iTunes and, and other platforms. For Rod, this is Ryan saying thank you for your time this time. And until next time, we will see you down the road.